Ron, welcome back. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate you uh, putting up with me. Um, with uh, an interesting anniversary coming up this week, I figured we'd start there. Um, yeah. um, I'll just start with my little story, just because I heard another podcaster start with his story. So I worked at Cantor Fitzgerald for like two summers before 9-11-01 while I was going to college. And I knew all these guys. I, you know, I went out a month before to the Twin Towers. Uh, I went up to the 110th floor. It was on 8-11 or 8-10, I think. Um, went up to the 110th floor hung out with all the guys. I was going to take a picture with my disposable camera of the whole trading floor of which almost all of them would have died. I thought that would make me not look cool or good. So I didn't take that picture. Um, one of the sons uh, took me down in the basement and I bought a belt and uh, really nice guy. He died. Um, Somehow the CEO, Howard Lutnick, did not die. When I met him in his office, I told him that I wanted to be CEO of the company one day. I was about 17. <laughs> nice. Um, but when it happened, I was sleeping in my dorm. I got a call from my brother, turned on the TV, couldn't believe it. So I was like, I'm going to go drive down to Century City to the office. He said, don't do that. And what I heard was going on in that office during that time, if I was there or happened to be there, which I could have been, I'd been there, you know, before school and days prior and all summers, I would have heard over the squawk box to their three floors in the Twin Towers, help us, we're dying up here, um, yeah. you know, with children of parents that are in this office in Century, so their kids are in the fucking building. And so, um, that's what I would have experienced. And so I went like two days later at about three 30 in the morning, three in the morning, two in the morning before everyone else had arrived. And boy, was that a creepy feeling, um, being in that office, knowing just what they had heard of people jumping out the buildings. And, you know, again, over the squawk box, people saying we're burning, we need help up here. And just the last thing I remember when I was underneath the twin towers a month prior and i looked up at him and i said those things are fucking massive like those are massive they there was just a feeling and to wrap this story up this is true the night before i fell asleep on 9 11 so the evening of 9 10 or the eve you know 9 10 evening i look i for some reason I go, I, I pull out a, out of a drawer, out of a file, out of whatever in my dorm room. And I look at my World Trade Center issued ID. And I said, boy, what a wonderful time that was. What a great trip that was. Boy, that was great. And then I get a call six hours later that just says, turn on the television. So uh, let's start with that. Ron, 9-11. Tell me what you remember when that happened. Yeah. Thanks for sharing what you experienced. That That's pretty damn close. You know, you were obviously 
not separated far from what happened there. I never got inside the trade centers. I had been at the, the foot of the buildings and had the same, same thought as you, oh my gosh, these are massive, just massive buildings. Um, that said, September 11th, I was living in North Dakota and had just moved off of the airbase and um, got a phone call from my then wife that a plane had hit one of the buildings and I was getting my my twins ready for daycare I was going to work and immediately I turned on the TV um, and you know watched what was going on and actually saw the second plane you know I was watching Aaron Brown on CNN watch the second plane hit the building and went oh shit you know, and it was shocking. And I was walking around in a daze and I, I had, um, I had to teach a statistics class that morning. So I got the children ready and got them into daycare. And I went and by the time I got there, they had canceled the classes for the day and uh, one of the professors in my department held a, a meeting and we you know a bunch of psychologists sitting around he uh you want us to process what was going on and I was a younger man at that point, and I was, you know, still given to the rage of testosterone flowing through my body. And, you know, my, my thought was, when it was asked of me how I was feeling, I said, I, I want to do something. I want to go and, you know, it is what it is. I said, I want to kill all the motherfuckers who just did this. I, I want to go and take everybody responsible out. Um, and the problem was, and still is, nobody truly knows who to go after, how to go after them. But it's very clear now that, you know, things are quite different than they were portrayed. So that, that was my initial thing, you know, and there was so much related to that that I could go on for days because it was probably the most consequential event in my lifetime. It has changed 
the United States more than any other single event that I have borne witness to. So um, uh, I'll leave it at that and then we can discuss more particulars. But that was my firsthand experience that day. Thank you, Ron. Um, yeah, it gave me a little tear there just uh, wanting to get, you know, who did this. And then so Bush comes out and says, same thing, we're going to get these people. And that riles up everybody and gets everybody feeling just how you just said it. So, um, but then uh, I don't know when I may have started to learn some of these other things. It certainly wasn't for a long time after. Um, do you remember any of the, I mean, would this have been years later that it would have crossed your mind that maybe that wasn't exactly what happened? As soon as they found the passport, as soon as they said, we know who did it, as soon as they started moving evidence away from the crime scene, I started questioning who benefits from this. And I started looking for an answer because I still, although less viscerally and more cognitively wanted to in some way get the people who were responsible to pay for their action. And when I started to look at who was benefiting, my first thought was Israel. Um, because I thought they needed some reasons to grow into the occupied territories without getting a lot of backlash. And also it would keep them safer if we were in a theater of war within the region. And that there is some evidence that Israel may have been involved at some level. But then I came across something called the Project for the New American Century, which was a multinational group, but mainly neoconservatives based within the Republican Party of the United States and advisors, a lot of advisors. But this, this group had a lot of high level people, Wolfowitz, um, I believe Rumsfeld was on the signatory pages and was very well related to Cheney and Bush and the entire Bush family legacy. And when you read the project for the new American century documents, and I, I should have prepared I, I figured we would be talking about 9-11, but I did not prepare much. Um, there's a document that refers to needing, it, it's called Rebuilding America's Defenses, and it refers to them needing an event to catalyze the American public. And they refer to it as a new Pearl Harbor. 
And David Ray Griffin titled his book, A New Pearl Harbor, which, you know, was based partly on that. But if you read that document, Rebuilding America's Defenses, it essentially spells out the entire 9-11 plot. And that put me on a tear, changed my life um, as a research scientist. Obviously, I used the scientific method and I gathered truckloads of data. And when I analyzed it and, and brought it down, brought it down to what I could not reject, it showed that what we were being told was absolutely false. However, it does not reveal exactly who the perpetrators or culprits of this heinous act are definitively. What I can tell you is it's the military industrial technological complex. And as I said, in my opinion, this is the greatest event in the American experiment causing us to lose more civil rights and freedom than any other event thus far. And, send, and spend all that money on the wars, six trillion or whatever it was, and all the deaths, you know, of Afghanis and, you know, Americans, et cetera, et cetera, after. Um, and then, you know, COVID was, I don't know if that was the next big Pearl Harbor or similar, you know, just world changing events that seems to have been created in a Chinese lab, but you may have had Vietnam type, you know, or Bay of Pit, you know, just stuff in between that was attempted or tried, but um, Pearl Harbor, um, COVID, uh, what else, what other events on that level going back whenever? Well, it, it's not as clearly engineered, but it, it's pretty dramatic and it is somewhat engineered. That would be the financial collapse of 2008. Um, and the the COVID thing could not have happened in the same way if 9-11 didn't happen. And my, my thought behind that is you get so many people believing that they don't have the right to question. And that is what we see with 9-11. If you walk out at, at this point, unfortunately, most of the people in the street have forgotten about 9-11. You talk to kids who are 20, you know, it didn't happen in their lifetime. They, they don't really know about it. Um, you know, four of my five children are kind of clueless about 9-11 and they had me as a father. So uh, they heard about it. 
So when when I look at 9-11 and you look at what was scripted and you have in your face simple physics, free fall speed collapse into the path of most resistance of how many buildings? Three. How many were hit by planes? Two. Previously, how many buildings had ever collapsed that were still frame structures built to the standards that those buildings were built to based on fire? Zero. Three in one day two hit by planes okay granted that is extra added trauma to the structure one that was hit by falling debris from one of the towers supposedly caught fire on 10 floors and had a lack of emergency sprinklers because a water main had broken it was fireproofed. It was designed to withstand fire. And those fires could not have generated more than 1,200 degrees heat from normal office fires. That's not enough to deform steel. And especially not for the length of time that they were burning. It would have required a catalyst some sort of uh, focused heat, some sort of charge to bring down those buildings. And the temperatures measured afterward were far in excess of 12 to 1400 degrees that would have been the, the peak heat from an office fire with the materials at hand. So, you had people who in their face had evidence that would disconfirm the story that was being peddled. And then you had authority come and say, don't pay attention to the logic, the facts, or anything that you were taught in high school physics. Rather, pay attention to what we tell you. So a bunch of disinformation got put out there about laser beams, nuclear weapons, um, vibrational energies, aliens. I mean, you, you basically had, in my opinion, the CIA throwing everything they could in there in order to cloud the issue and bring questions up about anybody who was questioning the facts of buildings falling into their own footprint at free fall speed, which flies entirely in the face of everything that we know about physics. And I, I, I will add just a little bit for my own uh, 
may not add to the credibility, but my own experience. I became a carpenter when I was very young, worked on large steel buildings, not setting the structural steel, but working with steel and building within those buildings. And I know a fair bit about how buildings go together, what works, what doesn't work, you know, how they use certain factors within the engineering. And those buildings did not fall, the first two nor the third, because they had fires on them. It, it's, it's not possible for what they have said is the answer to be true. So, um, yeah, most people don't even know that a third building fell that day. Most people don't realize that there were two huge lawsuits that were uh, vetted and being reviewed in the evidence within the World Trade Center number seven. That was Enron and WorldCom. And people don't realize that the CIA was housed within World Trade Center number seven. Many people don't. Uh, and then there's all of the things that are, you know, speculative about the reserves of gold in the basement and whatnot of the World Trade Center, which I, I won't weigh in on because I don't know. I know there was an incredible catacomb of tunnels underneath the World Trade Center, and I know that they definitely utilize those for uh, various business and such other things, but... There, there was some very interesting tenancy going on in World Trade Center number seven. And the first two World Trade Centers were in very, very dilapidated state. They were going to require a huge amount of money to refurbish and bring up to standards and codes, including asbestos removal. And they were heavily insured not long before by the owner Silverstein uh, for terrorism. So it's just an incredible confluence of factors that are involved when you look at all of the coinciding or coincident effects because the bushes are indicated. Silverstein had some very interesting things go on. The contents of World Trade Center number seven were very, very important to many ongoing investigations. And the day before Donald Rumsfeld on September 10th had released an astronomical figure of funds that had gone missing from the military. All of this distracted away, and then without missing a beat, George Bush attacked Iraq. Iraq had nothing to do, even in their picture that they were painting with this attack. 
but it sure as hell made a lot of money for Kellogg Brown and Root, who Dick Cheney was in bed with for very many years. It made a lot of money for the Bin Ladens and the Bushes had been in bed with the Bin Ladens for many years. And the Bin Ladens were all flown out of the country when we had a complete utter shutdown of all air traffic the next day. These are a lot of interesting things that don't give us any answers. The only clear path that they put us on is begging some very direct questions and putting to rest many of the arguments that were made in the 9-11 Commission report uh, and the NIST report that was not finished until seven years after with very limited um, data and in my opinion a clear agenda to support the chosen storyline and I'm not an engineer but I do have some practical knowledge of the way things work physically by putting things together and having you know a lot of experience with building and blueprints and then there are some very clear points at which steel becomes malleable and complete and utter failure doesn't happen until a much higher temperature than is capable of being produced by the materials in an office. And kerosene, which is the jet fuel, only burns at about 600 degrees. So that is even a lower temperature than would have been available from the materials in the offices. So big, big, long monologue. Thank you for putting up with that, but uh, yeah. Please. Right, and so the, the buildings pancaked down, which indicates controlled demolition on floors. Is that right? The buildings imploded upon themselves. The first two really looked like they were pancaking, um, which would imply cutting charges. And there are, you know, lateral ejection points or squib points in that. progression of collapse. So when you see that, that's usually an indicator of a charge. It could be that there was a point of weakness where you would see that from, you know, a, a pancake collapse. However, it's a physical impossibility to have a free fall collapse or near free fall collapse into the path of most resistance. If in fact, these buildings were collapsing under the weight of the top few floors, top 10, 15 floors, those top floors would have maybe collapsed one or two of the floors beneath them. However, 
they would have fallen off to the side. They would not have fallen into the path of most resistance. There's too much, too much structure there. And, and building seven, which just pancakes in on itself without even being struck by a plane. I mean, it's amazing. There's a video of that. Yeah. Um, is there a video of the Pentagon being hit with an airplane? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think that is one of the big tells as well. And again, the gaslighting of the American public and maybe a test to see how far people would buy into the gaslighting. They would not release the data from the cameras. They went and they scooped up all the data from all of the cameras surrounding the Pentagon. And then they released not even contiguous frames. They released like five frames of an object striking the Pentagon. And even in that five frames, I think it's arguable that you could say that's not an airplane. It's impossible to entirely distinguish what it was, but it does not look like a 757 or whatever number it was. And it hit the, is it the Defense Department area or the records area of the Pentagon with that, that missile type thing hit? So it hit an area that was being renovated at the time. And I'm sorry, I don't remember what exactly was going on in that area, but I do know it was under renovation. So it was fairly empty. And if you look at the, the various stages of collapse, when it first struck, you can see just a clear hole before the facade collapsed of something that punched through the multiple layers of the Pentagon. And the Pentagon is built to resist pretty damn well, many feet of reinforced concrete. So it, it was a serious penetration, but most of the, the news media only showed pictures and footage of well after the collapse of the facade had taken place. So it looks as if maybe something with a higher, uh, higher profile went through the building because there's absolutely no, no sign of any of what you would expect to see from detaching tail sections, wings, engines. Most of the debris scattered across the field of debris at the Pentagon was no bigger than a foot by a foot from people who reported what was on the ground when they first arrived. It, it's, it's improbable at the very best that a very skilled pilot 
could have brought a plane that size in that low and actually hit the building where it was struck. Very, very improbable. I, I'm not exactly sure on all the witnesses. I thought a general or somebody had said they had witnessed a missile, um, but you can quiet up anybody on any front. The Shanksville plane where that went down seems that our military shot that down, which just shows the ability to control the narrative, right? The happy hooligans, actually, uh, North Dakota State Air Guard are the, the folks who were involved with that. And, you know, there's so many dismaying stories about what transpired and so much conflict and so much chaos and confusion. But there's a, a testimony from, uh, oh gosh, I believe his name was Norman Mineta. And he was talking about Dick Cheney refusing to fire on our, uh, on the plane that was headed into New York. But, you know, the air, the air guard, a little bit less uh, rigorously controlled, apparently took down that Shanksville plane. And in my humble opinion, did so rightly based upon the mission, you know, to, to keep our country safe. So it, it's, uh, it's a very difficult thing to separate the disinformation out from the information. But it's not difficult to look at the factual evidence and see that what has been said at the Pentagon, at Shanksville, at the World Trade Center is absolutely demonstrably not what happened in reality. And, don't COVID, and COVID and the Lusitania oh. and you know Pearl Harbor, et cetera. So yeah. you just get rid of the witnesses, you just silent the witnesses, same as all the UFOs, you know, you just, it's the same story on so many fronts. So how can you trust them about anything? And I don't know if 70% do trust them about everything, but I don't trust them about anything. Yeah, I, I, I won't say that everything they say is false, but I do not trust them about anything. And when I say they, I mean, that's a broad stroke, but I'll, I'll speak to the FDA, the CDC, the military, the three-letter agencies, big corporations. I, I have no trust. I'm very cynical. There is truth that comes out, but even truth can be wielded as a weapon. You don't have to lie to weaponize something. And, you know, when, when I say that 
Russia invaded Ukraine. That's the truth. That's demonstrable fact. Getting into the underbelly of why that happened and when it actually happened and how it actually happened is very different. But if you speak to probably 70% of the citizenry of the United States, and sorry if this gets you some negative reviews and comments, most of them are gonna be in support of Ukraine. I, I, I have nothing against Ukraine, but it's been a political football since I have been aware of anything going on in this world. It's always been a place of people doing very, very difficult and horrible things from Stalin on through Putin, Biden. The Bidens have been using it as a piggy bank for a long time. The, the United States mafia has been using Ukraine and Georgia for a long time. A lot of corruption, a lot of ways to send money through. I mean, it's like a really big version of Grand Cayman Islands. And, and you can, um, uh, you, uh, you know, bio labs there that America was in all likelihood working on certainly would anger Putin. Also the yeah. closeness of a nuclear bomb to Moscow is much closer. So, and NATO, NATO had made some very clear treaties and assertions that they would not put their armaments that close to the Russian border. And I am no fan of Vladimir Putin, nor do I trust him at all, especially knowing he's KGB. But honestly, if I were in Vladimir Putin's position, I would have probably gone in in 2014. Uh, I think it took great patience for him to wait. And I think he showed that he really was trying to not go in, but maybe he was just waiting for the right time with a weaker or friendly person in the White House and over the military. I don't know. I honestly don't know. Well, we do know that, you know, fertilizer problems, crops out of Ukraine, uh, food prices up, heating prices up, perhaps $270 to charge your electric car early next year. Just yep. two days ago, Russia shut off the you know, supply line. Yeah. You know, and when we, when we take this backward and we look, the Pearl Harbor level event of 2001, really brought everybody into a place of union 
as mass. We all wanted to, you know, as I expressed, I wanted to go get the people who were involved in doing such an evil thing. And the whole world stood up and said, this is not going to happen. This is not okay. I mean, even people who don't really love America were standing beside the American people. Because overall, most people in the world realize that we are just human beings and that we shouldn't tolerate terror and destruction from anybody, government or otherwise. But that unity allowed for some evil to take place and the people who suffered through it in Iraq and the people who suffered through it in Afghanistan. I mean, I'm not saying that Afghanistan was headed in a great path with the Taliban at all. Do not get me wrong. However, the people who were slaughtered in Iraq and Afghanistan, the people who died of starvation, the people who died from unsanitary conditions, the people who were turned into prisoners in their homes, those people did nothing wrong for the most part. And the people who were sent there, my brother, my kid, those people were harmed and broken at a level that is unimaginable. So the people in country and the people who got sent in country all suffered and we were turned into sheep and we were told that we had to have our genitalia patted down to make sure we didn't have firecrackers in our underwear. And we had to take our shoes off because we need to make sure that we can't bring bombs on a plane. The things that have transpired in the name of security have taken away the freedom of everybody in this country and the hope that this experiment held for all of those people in other places that looked at United States of America as a beacon of hope, as right or wrong as they may have been, that hope has been shattered. Our nation has been shattered. Our freedoms have been squandered for prison bars. And so all I see on Twitter or wherever, if you're talking political, is this 50-50 just hate of each other, which obviously is intended to just totally divide us. I was in the Charlotte, North Carolina airport. I was, I go through the screener. I come out, I got nothing in my pockets. They show me an image. They're like, your whole crotch has lit up red. It's just this big <laughs> redness around my whole crotch. And What's going guy, on with that, Chris? And this guy rubs and rubs, and he gave a little smile after to me. He just did. It was just a little, it wasn't anything, but 
those type of people go to those type of works, certainly Catholic priests and, you know, school school coaches and some, some go to that type of work. Um, But a whole bunch of people in that airport, tiny airport, were were being patted down. Like, uh, you know, you go through Denver or you go, nobody's getting patted down, but in this little pervert airport, it's just, they're patting down a bunch of people, whatever. That, that's the that's the rocking chair airport, right? They've got the big long line of rocking chairs. Maybe, yeah, yeah. That's it was gorgeous airport. Yeah, yeah. There's a really good barbecue right in front of the rocking chairs. Next time you're there, if you don't get what you want on the pat down, you can go get some barbecue. I'll get that and a cinnabon. Uh, the cinnabon's not far from there too. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry, man. That I. I I have to make light of these absolute intrusions into our sovereignty as human beings. Because if I don't, I'm going to go around and scream and yell because I I mean, I grew up in the seventies and the eighties. America's not perfect. Never was, never will be. But there was that hope and there was a constitution that I mean I took an oath to the constitution and every sworn officer out there has taken an oath to the constitution and it's not being upheld Nobody does it perfectly, and it's it's dicey. Human beings and human behavior make it difficult. But damn it, it was there. It's worth trying. It's worth it. And we have abdicated. We as a nation have abdicated. We're on our blessed knees we are going to become a social credit score nation similar to what's going on in China. And if you haven't been to China in the last five years, I'll tell you what, I don't wanna be a citizen there. I've only been there short periods of time and it is absolutely frightening, the level of control, the lack of freedom. I'd rather be a citizen of Vietnam And that's no cakewalk either. And it's still a communist country, but the level of control that is exerted over the citizenry in China right now is almost total. And if they put what I think they're doing with the digital yuan in place, it's over for the Chinese citizenry unless they revolt. The, the CCP is, I mean, the, the Chinese Communist Party is just one of the most evil institutions that has ever existed. And we are so, so close to adopting a similar situation in our country. I know it seems miles away, but really since 2001, we have gone from 
some ideas about, you know, social equality and social justice and whatever. And honestly, I, I'm quite liberal. I really don't care what other people do as long as they're not harming other people. I'm quite ecologically minded and would love to see us do things in a more green manner, but not at the expense of our entire world with nonsensical solutions that are not data-driven. I really, really, really would love to say that I support vaccines. I cannot. The technology at best is flawed. The practical application is absolutely horrendous. This COVID-19 shot that they've introduced as a vaccine doesn't even rest on that vaccine technology. It's an entirely different way of doing things based on gene therapy and it's flawed and the science proves that and the FDA just invoked another level of poison in this bivalent version that they just released without any testing. So, sorry, I've gotten far afield from 9-11, but this is the path that I see us having taken to allow us to have people believe the lack of scientific rigor is not important and that authority can tell us what works, which leads to a despotic dictatorship. So, some type of quote uh, video yesterday was, truth or science is not truth science is power it was power noah harari and so uh, go ahead yeah. ron please I, I i just no i i caught that yesterday as well and i almost vomited i mean again i'm a scientist i i know there are flaws in science that's why we have replication and that's why we keep an open mind that is why science is never settled. And we continue to search for answers because we can't really prove anything. We can disconfirm our hypotheses and we can reject different hypotheses, but we don't prove anything to be true. We base our acceptance of a certain set of principles based on demonstrable, repeatable facts. And when Noah Harari sits there and says, well, science really is about power. He's absolute, absolutely telling you the truth about what the scientific industrial complex does. And having been part of it, I will confirm. It's about who you know and what you find. And if you find the right things, you will get funded. And if you find the wrong things, you will get buried. You will get fired. You will not get your grant refunded if you don't find 
what is acceptable. So yeah, thank you for bringing that up. Sorry, I, I, I'm getting a little passionate today. Um, we've, we've hit some deep, deep stuff for me. Um, so, you know, it seems like Biden is arresting everybody that's around Trump. Um, you know, um, it seems that, you know, Trudeau, uh, a World Economic Forum student, right? Talk, talking just last week that 80 to 90 percent uh, need to have, or we should get 80 to 90% of Canadians up to their booster level. Otherwise, there's going to be a lot more restrictions this winter. Yeah. After the CDC has said vaccines and unvaccinated do not, does nothing. And when Djokovic can't even get into the US, but the Latinos can walk right in. So um, not just the Latinos, anybody at the southern border. Yeah. It, don't don't forget the large number of Haitians, Chinese, Middle Eastern descent folks who are immigrating illegally through our southern border. It, you know, I, I realize the, the larger number are South American and Mexican, but we we really need to remember that that border is so porous that if I were say getting ready to launch an invasion and I wanted to send teams through, I, I'd send them up from South America, you know, and Russia has a large number of people in South America right now. China has a large number of people in Mexico. China has a large number of soldiers in Canada. Just saying. And, and uh, you obviously can't have a country without a border. They just 125,000, you know, fentanyl pills, you know, God knows you can add 20 zeros to all that. Um, you know, teacher arrested in Ireland for refusing to use pronouns, right? Um, parents, you know, would like to have some input on what teachers are teaching. You know, a lot are saying you don't have a right to give any input on that front. Yeah. Um, you know, these, uh, you know, the, um, it definitely got us 9-11 to hate Arab people, right? I mean, this yeah. is, this is a civilization that, you know, earth, U-R-T-H and, you know, the, where Baghdad was and these ancients were so smart, India, so smart, different yeah. than Arabs, but it made us hate Arabs. The CEO of Kenner Fitzgerald, where I worked, miraculously was not in the office. This is after the opening bell of 9.30 in the morning. He was dropping his kid off of school. Right. Supposedly the story of Israelis cheering, you know, on the other side, if that's true. The, the, the Mossad dancing, yeah. That some people knew about this, perhaps, uh, you know, Israelis being one group that knew about this, perhaps yep. being the main group, but um, people knew about this and they may told their friends not to come to work that day. Uh, there's definitely a lot of stories about that. 
you know, I, again, I don't trust very readily. And these stories definitely have, have been around and I've seen some evidence for some of the, the horrible stories of the Mossad dancing and whatnot on the other side of the river. And when you look at who those people were, they were artists, they were students living here or whatever. And their charges get dropped, of course. Right, it, it, was, it was pretty, pretty interesting to say the least. However, I, I really hesitate to point at one ethnic group, one religious group, because so many people are involved in what has gone on, including the day of and preparatory work going back to Oklahoma City on, on taking down those towers and the things that have transpired since then. So I know a lot of people are very, very clear on it being all tied back to a Jewish conspiracy. I do think that the Rothschilds being Jewish has a lot to do with that because they basically created modern day banking. And that has been a tool that's been used to control and steal from day one very, very effectively. But you know, if you go back even one level deeper and you look at the Khazarian Jewish history, the people who are reportedly the Jews coming out from there probably weren't even adherent to the Jewish religion. They were converts who did it for political reasons, apparently. Um, so what, I, what I'm trying to say is, I don't think that it's all based in, in one group of people. I think it's based in power and nothing more and nothing less because money becomes useless once you acquire a certain level and all you're really interested in, and when I say you, I mean a human being is then garnering more power. And that is, as was said by Acton, absolute power corrupts absolutely. So we've got some folks out there and I don't think we know their names who are absolutely in power. And then we've got the people who we can point at, Bill Gates, the, the royal families of England and Netherlands, some of the other royals within the European families, but they're at a lower level. The British and the Netherlands with Rutch, I'm sorry, with uh, Royal Dutch Shell and the other various holdings. And then, you know, you've got no further to look than the, the Vatican for another very, very influential 
wealthy religious source of movement. You know, Israel is certainly a hub of movement and intelligence and a lot of evil shit comes out of Israel. But I would say it's probably just as evil as the city of London or the Vatican or DC. You know, and there's a lot of good that comes out as well. Don't get me wrong. There are good people in all of those places. There are good people in the Vatican. There are good people in the city of London. There are good people in DC. But the level, the levers of power are certainly under the control of some very wicked, evil people. And I don't even know if they believe in any religion whatsoever, but they're using the book of Revelation as a playbook to run the world by. And CERN is very much in the area of questionable technologies and spirituality at this point too. Well, thank you for helping me try to get to the truth, which is my goal. And you know, <laughs> that's the goal of this whole thing. And forgive me for, you know, making mistakes because, you know, things that I reference, like out of books and stuff, it's like, I don't know what's true. I don't know anything. This book is 900 pages. Yep. <laughs> 900 pages. The one on Fauci and Gates by Robert Kennedy Jr. is same thing. How... They're so dense and so thick, the smallest fonts you've ever seen. Yeah. At, you know, trying to get to the truth. So, um, you know, um, it's my understanding that the Israelis, the Egyptians, you know, something like the same people, you know, coming out of Egypt, it's not exactly that, but something like that. And that, you know, when you're looking at them side by side, you're really looking at your brothers and the same people, but they just hate each other. And that's just very frustrating. And that, you know, that goes back to Forrestal saying, do not put Israel in the middle of Palestine. It's going to be wars till the end of time. He, he, he was under the misconception that that was something they wanted to avoid. I mean, clearly it's become a tool. I mean... Again, like I said, I don't know if these folks are actually believing in any religion whatsoever, but they are certainly using the Judeo and Christian books to manipulate and run their program. So, and to a lesser extent, the Quran. I mean, that, that's been weaponized in a different way, but... I just really fear that we may have lost control over our country. Um, just a few more minutes. Um, you know, the uh, it does seem like the CIA sent a lot of guys and gals over to the Mideast after 9-11, certainly who knows how much they're making per hour or per year, but these, you know, Ron, is there in the budget, is there like 60 billion allocated for overseas, you know, projects or, you know, I mean, 
where does that money come from? I've certainly read a book that said the CIA fund funded and funds heroin that went to New York and across the Americas and funneled it through the Vatican. But um, is there a line item in the budget for CIAs doing their stuff overseas? So your question begs multiple questions, but in a simple answer, nobody knows because those items are black budget off the books. The line items that are approved are usually pretty large, you know, and they get shoved into, let's say like an inflation reduction act or the general funding bill that you know, we have to send through to fund the military every year. But the true cost and the true funding comes out of many different avenues, one of which is defense contractor budgets. Some of them are the seizure of assets that come from drug seizures from military uh, weapons ops and trafficking. And then I, I assume human trafficking is pretty lucrative and some of that money goes there as well. I know that we had some uh, indication that there was human trafficking going on with the CIA. So yeah. I, I don't think your question has one answer. And I think that the overarching answer is it's a huge, huge budget. And a lot of the funds come through dark channels that never really hit the books in our, our above board budget. That's right. And then NASA, you know, the money that goes to them is just so astronomical. I believe Musk comes in and pays a tenth uh, for a rocket type thing. Um, just another example. No, you're, you're, you're spot on. I mean, all the, the whole world is interrelated. And it's a quantum universe. The butterfly effect is real. And we have multiple opportunities. So without being too grim, let me end on this. A lot of bad stuff has happened since 9-11. A lot of bad stuff happened before 9-11. The United States has persevered to this point. I am not holding out a lot of hope for our continued success in this experiment of a republic. But I still have some hope. And one of the hopes I have is people like you who are trying to find the truth and share it. I mean, what do I know? I'm, I'm nobody. I've got my experience. That's what I have. But you are asking the questions. You are putting answers 
and information out. Each of us needs to take that and do with it what we can to make the world a better place. But if, so I still have hope. Thank you. If you, very much, if you, if you say anything, you know, kind of against the Jewish people, you're, you're an anti-Semite, which is a phrase that they, you know, was coined by like the perfect way to just say, you are an anti-Semite. And it's just, uh, it's not fair because do you see on the nightly news, any of the bombings, you know, any of the shootings of the Arab children, you don't see that is because they control the media. And so, you know, these poor Arabs who just want to say, hey, you know, look at me, the, the bombings in Yemen that the U.S. was helping, I believe is Israel with, it's, you're just not allowed to say, you're not allowed to ask any questions or say any possibilities. And that's not fair to a lot of other groups. It's just not fair. To, to that point, I mean, I've, I've had a lot of discussions with friends from both sides of the Palestinian issue because Palestine was invaded. Palestine was cut up. Jews and Palestinians are not necessarily incommensurate. As a matter of fact, Semite is anybody, as you said, from the region, whether they're <clears throat> Egyptian or other stock coming into Palestine, including the Jews who are from there. You know, th those people are all cousins. And there used to be an organization called Cousins and we'd get together and meet. So, okay. Everybody's a cousin there. Why are, why are we killing each other? Well, you know, the, the Yemeni, the Oman bombings, the, the Saudis being, you know, at war, basically. The Israelis going in and it's like, why are the Saudis the home of Mecca and the Israelis joining forces in any way, shape, or form with their, you know, died in the wool, I hate you idea. And like you said, the Palestinians are simply like, hey, I want to cross the street so I can get medical care. Uh-uh-uh-uh-uh, you ain't Jewish, you ain't coming. You know, and some of those Palestinians are Christian. There's this false idea that everybody in the Islam world is against Judaism. And there's a false impression that everybody in Palestine is Islamic. Just basically we're all human beings and we all have cultures and we need to get past the poise that people use to divide us and become what we were meant to be, which is family. As the Lakota say, you know, we're family. You and, you and I, we're family, all of us.
you know, and, and we, the, I mean, I don't know if we works, but the European people who came here certainly used those same divisive tools to separate the natives who were here. And the, the concentration camps, the final solution was based a lot on what was done to the Native Americans. So when, when we had, you know, concentration camps for the Jews, when we had concentration camps here for the Japanese, this was all built upon the ideas of what we did to, or I keep saying we, what the progenitors of our nation did to the natives who they found here. It, so this it, has been going on forever. It's the same story. It's, you know, you kill, you assassinate, you know, Joseph Smith, the only, you know, president running for president that's assassinated. You know, you just, it's the same story. It's uh, the Ojibwa told me the word bajig, you know, which is we are one, we're all one. And I just, just talking to uh, Dr. Jim Shears this uh, yesterday about, you know, some details of uh, some sweat lodges that he's done up with the Winnebago. And mm -hmm. I'll talk more about what he shared with me today soon. Just, but yeah. it is basically, I was like, Jim, was it the Sumerians? Was it the Minoans? Was it the, um, uh, you know, the Sadavahanas, the Indians, you know, coming here? He said, yes, <laughs> but it was all one group. Wow. Everybody was, you know, and so, yes, you had this climate impact, I believe, in North America that caused this big surge of water, which, you know, uh, is not the slow warming that the global warmest say happened at the end of the last ice age, the younger driest impact theory. Right. It seems that there was this impact caused this surge of water shifted the, the pole a few degrees um, that these giants were li living down in Antarctica and that forced them to come up to South America and that they were cannibals. Um, certainly just seems like one giant story, you know, that you got the Cyclops, you got all this stuff in the Bible, you got lots of giant stories. The recent DNA evidence that I've heard um, from Modern Marvels or Modern uh, uh, Megalithic Marvels, the podcast, Derek Olson, was uh, that they, Brian Forrester down in Peru, which is where you got the tin, uh, you know, right through Bolivia there, um, right. that they just did about 20 DNA studies on these elongated skulls. And, you know, there's, they come from this Black Sea area of, it's not Crimea, it's like, it's like Malta, it's, it's around there, the Black Sea are around there. And then- Mo Moldova? Maybe. There's, and then I was told from Rick this morning, five other places where these elongated schools, but the point is that they were traveling on the sea, no problem, you know, right. three, 4,000 years ago. And it's just this, we were all, you taught me this, Americans think they're the best. Japanese think they're the best. Germans think they're the best. Mm -hmm. And um, we were all one group. And 
it's gotten to now 50% hates 50% or whatever it is. So no, you're, we have not, you're we have not come on. a long way. You know, what's funny is, I don't know if you know that I'm Ojibwe, but I'm part Ojibwe. And anyway, we won't go into that, but a very, very close uh, friend of mine at the time is Lakota. And he, he did not share with me that there was a word in Ojibwe for this, but he, he did express to me that in Lakota, they say, you know, we are all of us family. And that's what I was trying to express. But he, he said, that's the literal translation is we are all of us family. And it's exactly what you're saying. And the Ojibwe and the Lakota killed each other all the time. But apparently, you know, Ojibwe had the same concept. And, you know, they existed for a long time. And they fought like brothers and sisters do. But until the French came and, you know, we, the Ojibwe, started calling them the Sioux, the snakes, and they called us pucker toes and all kinds of stuff, rabbit chokers. Um, I don't think that there was that outright hatred and, and vehement, you know, killing of each other. I think it was more of like the familial arguments as opposed to extinction or slaughtering the other side. So not, not that I'm promoting the fighting and the violence that went on before, but it, it's like, you know, same thing happened in Africa until what was it, Shaka Zulu really went through and like militarized as far as we know. So it, it's interesting, my friend. And I really look forward to talking with you about the ins and outs of this because while I think nationalism is somewhat healthy and having a, a national identity can help people and competition is healthy and you know certain levels of argument is going to go in there with the competition and the nationalism we certainly don't need to be fighting wars and killing each other and when we do it's usually because somebody's manipulating it to make a profit yeah they didn't have uh, countries back in this time there were a few cities you know earth and but it was there were no countries um but and I guess we're learning about human nature that we do what we do. We take the guns as one tribe and kill the other tribe. Um, yep. And that it seems to be that there are multiple moves thought of for the future. So when people are meeting and saying, let's do this, it's their, their people or their strings are thinking multiple moves in the future. Yep. And uh, I think that's good for now. Um, but uh, 
I was I was once nominated for Teen People, one of the 20 teens who will change the world. And maybe that somehow, you know, thinks really big on things. But, um, you know, I don't want 20 people to listen to this or I want I want a billion to listen to this. And that's so crazy and delusional. But I actually thought that world peace world peace could be achieved by the knowledge that I've acquired because you're basically saying we're all brothers and that we should all walk down the street and say hi to each other. And you know, that it's that if you prove, which we can, that the Africans were traveling as, as, you know, not just slaves, but as merchants and kings and navigators. If you prove that, if you prove that all these groups came to America and they're all brothers and we're all one group and Bajig, then that theoretically could, you know, be a world peace thing. And so that's just a real crazy thought that uh, maybe I won't be able to do, but, you know, whatever. You're doing your part. And I think, as I was trying to convey earlier, we don't know what the smallest little action might foment. I, I think you're doing something very important here. Um, I, I apologize for being so passionate in some of the earlier stuff we talked about and going on and on, but. I think the search for truth and sharing what you find is a noble cause. And thank you for doing it. Thanks, Ron, buddy. We'll continue this 50 more things, okay? We'll talk soon. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Okay, bye. Bye-bye.